0: Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be with you on this beautiful sunny day here in Franklin, Tennessee. For those who may be watching or catch this today, Sunday, I want to remind you again that this evening at 5 o'clock we're having that prayer in the square here in Franklin just to pray over all that's going on. Pray for leaders. Uh, just just praying for a lot of things we needed, and we're going to focus on the things going on in our little town here, which are all going on in the metro area and in the state and in the nation and in the world. So if you're in this area and you want to join us, please do so at 5 o'clock on the square in Franklin. There'll be a number of people just gathered around different places praying together And also, if you see this and you're not in the area, just be praying for us and for these things, and also for your own towns and cities and all the things that we're praying for and praying about. We need it. We need it. Our Not just our nation and our world are a mess, but bringing it on down locally, because Satan is and the demonic realm are flexing now more than they ever had. And it's apparent to those of us who believe and study the Bible. It's not apparent to those who don't, even some Christians, sadly, but especially to those whose eyes are blinded by what's going on. And um, it, it's just, it's a very difficult, challenging time. But today I'm going to get into this message about the final victory. And that's good news. It is good news because we know the outcome. If you study the Word of God... And you're born again in Christ. We know the outcome, the ultimate victory. And it's not just good news. It's great news. It's the best news. So let me pray us in and we'll get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. So delighted to be able to come and get into your word, uh, share it together, teach it, and help us to um, to understand it. Help us to take in what we need to everyone here differently Whatever the Holy Spirit is working on in them, it might reach different people in different ways. But Lord, let it reach some and let it reach some for their salvation in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We pray in His holy and matchless name. Amen. Okay, a lot to cover and what I'm going to do is mention the first four parts of this series and I'm going to give you some somewhat of a chronological timeline of the events that lead up to the very end. Now, you could easily take a message on each one, and perhaps we'll do that sometime, but not today. And my goal is to finish this today, but if I don't, I'll finish it up on Tuesday or sometime this week. But I want to make sure that you understand, with all the difficult stuff I've been going through Well, let's just talk about, review that. Message one. We talked about the reality of Satan and demons based on their interaction with Jesus. We started with Jesus. I always love to start with Jesus when we're focusing on things that he has spoken of, things that he was interacting with, things that went on in those three years of his life, three years of his ministry, and we even started on, we talked about last week, even one of those things when he was a baby or a small child. So we focused focused on that week one. That message was on Jesus and his interaction with, with Satan and demons, to demonstrate the reality of them. Because some people don't believe this is real. As Christians, we have to, we must. The second message, second week, was that we showed that God did not create evil. We talked about that. We showed that who God is, his nature, that he could, not, he could not create evil. Although some who believe that God created all things, which he did, and he's omniscient, he's omnipotent omnipresent all those things that he is he has no beginning no end but he did not create evil wasn't impossible we looked at the origin of angels among whom was lucifer with their creation we talked about lucifer and the origin of evil coming out of his rebellion that pride that was the origin of evil in that world before the earth was even formed very controversial, there are a number of groups, especially theologically, one of the isms doesn't think that's right at all. They can't explain it, but they just don't think that's right because it blows up a lot of the um things that they believe and teach around uh, how predestination and those things should be interpreted. Message three we looked at the origin then of demons, how they came into being, and then their or their work among us in their destructive ways and their presence today. We'd already talked about that with Jesus, but we talked about their origin as the fallen angels, that when Satan, when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, we read that and there's an implication that he took a third of the angels with him. We find that in Revelation. And then last week we looked at Satan versus Jesus, the attacks on Jesus. There were three of those we looked at from his birth, from just after his birth as a child, Uh, where the wise men came and Herod wanted to find him, told him he wanted to worship him. We knew that was a lie. He wanted to destroy him. And when he was tricked and he found out he was tricked, he had all the Hebrew, the, the little Jewish babies, boys, from two years old and under, slaughtered. It's called the murder of the innocents. Slaughtered. That was one. The second one was the temptations out in the wilderness. Those three temptations. Satan directly with Jesus again. And then finally at the cross, where he thought Jesus' death meant that he won. But we talked about how that was that was not the case. And we ended the message talking about the absolute need for the truth of the resurrection. Because if Jesus just died on that cross, but there was no resurrection, then as Paul said, we are still dead, and we are most of all to be pitied. So that's where we left it last time, the marvelous, wonderful, necessary resurrection. Today we're going to pick it up and just go through... I didn't count them because I numbered them with little crosses as opposed to numbers. There are probably 14 or 15 things here. And there are a lot of good references for this. I use Got Questions, which is on the web. It's a good website to use. Um, Pastor David Jeremiah has done some good teaching on these kinds of things where you can just Google and list the different events uh, around end times, depending on whether you believe and things that I'm not going to get into. I'll mention what I'm teaching based on. But there are different views of these things. There's a premillennial and amillennial and postmillennial views. There's a, some believe in a rapture. I'll we'll talk about that. Some don't believe there is a rapture at all. Pre-trib, post-trib. These are things that people discuss and some argue about. I'm going to just share it from the perspective that I believe the Bible teaches, and I'll tell you what that is as we go. But quite frankly, what's important are that these events happen. Now, again, some argue that they don't, a couple of them don't happen, but none of that is going to be, um, it has no ultimate bearing on the final outcome or any impact at all on the fact that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And if you're born again in Christ, we are saved, eternally saved, and we're going to be celebrating as we see when we get to the end of this. Okay, let's get going. First, it was after the resurrection, Jesus spent that time with his disciples. Then there's the Ascension. i put my glasses on here. There are multiple places to talk about the Ascension. And here's what I'm going to read over here in Acts. Because right in the book of Acts, that's where we, we have Jesus giving his last commands. He said in Acts 1.8, which most Christians know by heart, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit, who is going to come, as soon as Jesus went back to heaven, is going to send the Holy Spirit. You'll have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judean Samaria, that's locally and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. He told us in the Great Commission, go and preach, go and make disciples, preach and tell people, be a, a, a verbal testimony, not just a living testimony, but a verbal testimony. Now, in, in Acts 1 9, after Jesus said these things, he was lifted up While all these people were looking on, there were probably hundreds. It could have been hundreds. We know his disciples were there, but there could have been so many people that he, he came and he appeared to. Why? Because they needed to be witnesses, not just one, not just the apostles, not just a couple of people, but hundreds and hundreds of people were witnesses so they could continue to pass it on. And that's why the Romans and the Jews tried to have these people killed as well. They wanted to kill the testimony, the eyewitnesses. Because otherwise they could say Jesus was dead and somebody stole his body, which is what they said. This is Jewish leaders. That's the only thing they could think of, right? Okay, so we know that he has ascended into heaven out of their sight. What I find interesting, we need to know because we're going to come back to this. There were two men. There was actually angels. And they were standing there watching and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you looking up in the sky? This Jesus whom you've t- who's been taken up into heaven will come again, will come and... It says, just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven, received into the clouds. In, in the book of Acts, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and all those at Pentecost, that's the power Jesus promised to give us to live the Christian life, the promise that he gave us. And we really be- believe that's kind of what people call today the church age, the church age, meaning the Christian church age, because after that, churches, these house churches, these groups of Christians who were being persecuted, by the way, began to form more and more. There was one in Jerusalem, there was one in a number of cities where the Christians, the the Jews who were being persecuted, those who had received Christ, and many of those were Jews, there were some Romans, but many of those were Jews, and they began to flee well, some of those became Christians, and, and when Paul went and planted churches, and um, all the ministry of Paul, and then uh, John as well, Peter, they were all doing these things, planting churches. The, that's called the church beginning of the church age, and you'll find that in Acts 4. And I did want to read one verse in Acts 11:26 because most Christians do not know this. Where did the word Christian come from? Too many don't use that, and I'll speak to that some other time. We are Christians. That's what the word, the Bible called it. We are Christians, and stop trying to run away from that word because you think it's been watered down, or some people that, you know, don't, they call themselves Christians because they're not Jews, things like that. Don't worry about that because it is what we were called. We're not just followers of Christ or Christ followers or this or that. No, we are Christians. And the way that, where that came from, in 43 A.D., the Apostle Paul, excuse me, yeah, Paul had left us all, again, left for Tarsus, and he, and he came, and he brought him to Antioch, and when they took him to Antioch, he was there for a year, and he met with the church that was at Antioch, and they taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were no longer called Christians, Antioch, excuse me, disciples, they were called Christians in Antioch, that church, and that's the first time. And we were known as Christians ever since. Those who are born again in Christ, of Christ—that's what Christian means. That's what the word means. Okay, we're more than followers. Jesus had lots of followers, and as we know and we're told, and even in the Gospels, many scattered and left him because his teaching got so hard. So followers isn't good enough. Disciples isn't good enough because a disciple simply means a student. When it refers to disciples here, the twelve disciples who later became apostles, except for Judas, of course. Uh, Apostle means one who is sent. They're called apostles then later on, for the most part, after the resurrection of Christ and him sending them out. right? He sent them out. They were apostles. So so we are Christians because we are born again followers of Christ. Here we go. The rapture of the church. There are... People who do not believe that there is a rapture of the church. And what I mean by rapture of the church, it means that that we are caught up into the heavens. If you're still alive, if you're still alive, let me back up. I taught you in the series a few months ago, what happens when we die, all those things that go along with that. So if we have gone to sleep in the Lord, our spirit is already in heaven. For those Christians who are still alive at this point in time, before the tribulation occurs, and we're coming to that, then the rapture occurs, where Jesus appears in the clouds, just like the angels told the disciples, He appears in the clouds, and we're called up to Him. Let me give you one verse. I don't have time to give you all the verses. These. Let me give you a couple of verses here in Matthew 24:31. This is Jesus speaking. So let's see what that says. And there were too many to print and keep track of all this, but I'm going to do my best. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm reading verse 16, uh, verse 16. The Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive or remain will be caught up with them together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. The key here to separate the rapture from the second coming, because this is not the second coming. It's important to understand this. The rapture, Jesus, only, he comes, but he only comes in the clouds. He never comes to earth as we know it. That doesn't happen. It says clearly here, we'll meet the Lord in the air. So there's a shout, there's this trumpet shout, and Jesus descends, but only in the clouds, and all the believers who are alive are caught up, be a marvelous thing, just like Elijah went to heaven, right, Enoch was taken up, they uh, caught up in the air with him, will not taste death, and that was always a question when Jesus said some of the strange things he said. Those who are still alive, when this happens, this rapture, Christ is taking his church out so that we don't suffer through the tribulation I'm about to get to. So for those of us who believe there's a rapture, and that's what these verses speak to, we think very clearly. If you're still alive, like if he came now, and man, I wish he would, he would take us straight out. and We'd meet him in the air, in the clouds, forever. Okay. And the dead in Christ, the bodies will be resurrected to meet the spirits that are already there. This is the rapture. Jesus never gets to earth. We're called up in the clouds, into the heavens with him. That is not the second coming. That is the rapture. And these are a couple of the key verses that speak to that, okay? Now. The reason that's important, and so we're, we're considering ourselves, this is what we're called, a, we believe in the rapture, and we also believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, what I just described to you happens before the tribulation, of seven years I'm about to talk about. There are those who believe in what's called a mid-trib rapture, which means they should believe in a rapture, but they believe the church, we're going to suffer for the first three and a half years, and at that midpoint, when the... Um, The Antichrist does what we'll talk about again. We haven't gotten there yet. At that point, we're raptured out so that we don't go through the worst of the worst suffering, which is horrible and awful. So I'm teaching, preaching from a point of view of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, not the second coming at this point, the rapture of those who are alive at that time because Jesus does not want us to suffer. And the other verses that talk about, they said, I'm not going to let you suffer this, even though we suffered greatly, right? suffered greatly they suffered greatly even to death but he was talking about the church now and he wouldn't let them suffer through this period we're going to talk about and i can only touch on it but it's going to be awful and i'm not going to try to teach revelation a lot of this as we go on further is going to be all out of revelation but right now the tribulation let me mention it first it's been daniel um i did mark that verse You know, Daniel, Old Testament prophet in Babylon, and he mentioned Daniel 9, 24. Let me find that verse and read it. Daniel, again, is prophesying. Daniel is a book of prophecy and much of it about the end times, especially this period called the tribulation. And so it's really interesting, and it makes no sense as we read it. You have to study the experts, the theologians, study the notes in your study Bible. He's talking about this. He said... Seventy weeks, he's talking about, um, again, Daniel speaking to the Jews and those who are alive at the time, or Christians, he said, 70 weeks, I'm in mean Daniel uh, 9, 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people, your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place, Okay. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince, the Antichrist who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. When the temple was destroyed, finally, ultimately, Herod's temple in 70 A.D. But he's talking about these 70 weeks, and most theologians and Hebrew interpreters look at that as 490 years. It's just too much to get into, but the tribulation is this period where Jesus talked about those suffering times. He talked about them in Matthew. In fact, I'm going to read one to you, Matthew 24. And my point is not to confuse you, but just to give you a chronological listing. And then you can dig deeper for yourself. I'll have this posted probably tomorrow sometime. And you can look them up yourself. You can study it deeper. And we will, we will study these together deeper as well at some point. In Matthew 24, verse 21. Well, let me start in 15. This is, again, Jesus speaking. He said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, we're coming to that, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet. He's referring back to the words I just read you out of Daniel, standing in the holy place. That's in the temple, by the way, the holy of holies. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Cause it's going to be awful. And whoever's on a housetop must not go down and get things out that are in his house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. And woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in the days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation. A great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And here's the key that speaks to this tribulation is real. Jesus said this to his disciples. Unless these days, meaning the days of the tribulation, had been cut short, no life would have been saved but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short okay because otherwise Satan this demonic presence working through this antichrist we're going to talk about now would have destroyed everyone especially Christians anyone who worshiped God the Jews and who who and were born again in Christ the Christians the persecution would be horrific now what happens is as, as the Antichrist, and that's who we're talking about now, this is Satan's chosen leader. If you were with us years ago when I did that series on 1 John, he talks about Antichrist with a small a a lot. He just basically says, any one of these false teachers, and we have a lot today, and I've talked about those, who are leading people away from Christ, or simply teaching prosperity, gospel, and all the nonsense that is not biblical, John refers to them as false prophets, false teachers, sons of the devil, but also as Antichrist, with a small a, not the Antichrist. Well, now we're talking about the Antichrist, the man of Satan, who will come in, and and here's what makes sense when you look at it today. The world today, there are people today, especially in this country, they want to give up our sovereignty as a nation, the United States, and form one world government. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen, by the way. It is. And so you talk about being in end times. Look at the people who think we should have one world government, one leader, who will rise up, charismatic, will be able to speak well, convince people. And all through um, modern history, certain people have been said, well, he could be the Antichrist, he could be the Antichrist, he could be the Antichrist. I have no idea if he's alive today or not. Could be. Could be. Could be somebody we've already known. Could be somebody in the future, way after we're dead. We don't know. But the Antichrist is the chosen one who will come in to f- form this world government and will be the leader of it. Will be the leader of the world, the whole world. And that is what many are crying for today, to overthrow all these governments that they hate so much. And Antichrist will be the one who does that, who will help them. He will seem like the greatest guy, uh, one who wants to have peace, wants to have people, prosperity and all these things. And in those first three and a half, and even the Jews, by the way, will follow him. Christians that are wise and know what I'm teaching will not. We'll recognize that. But you see, we believe we'll already be gone. Now, there will be those who get saved during this tribulation period, and I'll speak more about them later. Because they'll understand, wait a second. You know, I was sort of this wishy-washy Christian I really wasn't born again. But now I understand what, exactly what Jesus was saying. This is the truth. And there will be those who become born again during that horrible, awful season. We'll talk about them in a minute. So the Antichrist comes in to begin that tribulation period, those seven years. Everything's great. People think this is terrific. It's what we've always needed, one world government. Well, at the end of three and a half years, and Daniel describes it, The end of those three and a half years, and they they name the number of days, 1,265 days or whatever you count on a calendar, 365 days or 360, I believe, was a Jewish calendar times three and a half. That'd be the number of days in those years. The number of days of the first part of that tribulation until the middle of it when that Antichrist will then all of a sudden commit this abomination of desolation. Let me speak briefly on that because I'm going to run out of time and have to finish this later. The abomination of desolation first occurred in the intertestamental period in those books, the Apocrypha that went between Malachi and Matthew. It was during the time of the Maccabees, and it was um, Antiochus Epiphany, who was one of the rulers, generals, went into the temple, the Holy of Holies, and slaughtered a pig, on, the, on in the in the temple there, in the Holy of Holies, desecrating it. That is considered the abomination of desolation the first time. The first time. So it will be another. And that was in, not in Solomon's temple, that was in the second temple that was built when in Nehemiah's day. When it was Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple they tried. It was a feeble, feeble um, in terms of its appearance. Nothing like Solomon's temple, but that was the second temple. But that's when, This Greek went in, because this is the time of um, uh, Alexander the Great and all those things. There's all this history going on between the end of Malachi and 1st of Matthew. So he goes in and sacrifices a pig. Why a pig? Because they were considered unclean, right? The swine, the unclean animal, just to rub it in the faces of the Jews. That was the abomination of desolation. That's what it looked like. Now, is that what will happen when this time, when the Antichrist goes into the temple the new temple, the third one, by the way, that's been built, and we don't know when it's going to be built. We know it's going to be built on the Temple Mount, where there's nothing there right now except the mosque, an uh, Islamic mosque is there. It's interesting. That's a different story. But on that great big huge Temple Mount of David's, where the Solomon's Temple was built, and then Herod's Temple, which was the one he improved on the one that was built by Zerubbabel and that group, and it was the one destroyed in 70 AD, the new temple will be built, and then this antichrist will go in and create and and, and act out or whatever this act is the abomination of desolation and at that point three and a half year point when he does that all hell breaks loose for the jews they think they're living in peace they think everything's okay but now again the persecution of the jews is going to be horrible and that's why you see them running fleeing and it's just an awful time so that's when this happens during the tribulation period but jesus said I'm not going to let it go on for that long. Otherwise, no one would survive under the reign of this evil, this evil terror, this man of Satan. Because the uh, beast arose with him, one who helped carry out these acts. The Antichrist was sort of the ruler and the leader. The beast was sort of his enforcer, if you will. And so there's those two people, those two men creating all this havoc now, murderous, just horrible, heinous things going on. The world's in utter turmoil and being destroyed and people being killed and God's people, Christians and the Jews. Then, then we have, hallelujah, the second coming of Christ. This is when the second coming happens. This is why, by the way, those of us who believe in a rapture cling to that because we believe Jesus said it would be that way, as did the apostle Paul, because of all this stuff going on, the persecution during those last half of that tribulation is going to be uh, it's going to be again as bad or worse than what Hitler did and we know that Hitler was one of satan's fiercest um, uh, minions or puppets or whatever so anyway, now we have the second coming of Christ at the end of that second seven years Christ and his army of angels and us as believers we all come we all come. And all the armies of the world are lined up there in the Valley of Megiddo. Megiddo, look it up on your map. You can see it, and it is called what? The Battle of Armageddon. Megiddo. Okay, the Battle of Armageddon. This is when it occurs. And at this point, the armies of Jesus and angels, and I don't have any idea what we do. Maybe we're just along for the ride to watch the power of the Risen Christ. He comes with a sword and the flaming kingdom, all these things that are just unbelievable. The angels, like Michael leading the warrior angels, the mighty angels, the mightiest of the mighty. We don't ever become angels, by the way, the different beings altogether. They come and they destroy all the world's armies, destroy all the world's armies at that battle called Armageddon. And at that point when it's over, we read in Revelation that the Antichrist, that leader, and the beast, his second in command, are captured, and they are immediately destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire we'll talk about more maybe next time. That is the final hell, okay? There's a hell today, and I've talked to you this many times, that is the hell, it's sort of that holding place hell. Some call it Hades, it's referred to in the Bible. It is a hell, Jesus taught on that, where people are suffering, no question about it. It is a place of torment and suffering. It is not the final lake of fire and we'll see that as we keep studying here. But the, at that point in time, the Antichrist and the beast are cast into the lake of fire. That's for eternity. They cannot come back. Now, Satan is not. Satan is not. At that point in time, we have what's called the judgment of the sheep and goats. There are multiple judgments at the end times. Here's the first one. It's called the judgment of the nations or the judgment of the sheep and goats. And this is only for the people who went through the tribulation. This is like this isolated, Jesus is on earth, and he's going to set up his millennial kingdom here. We'll talk about it in a minute. But the first judgment is for those who were on earth at the time of that tribulation and gone through it. Now, Christians, people who had become Christians during that time referred to as the sheep because Jesus always talked about his followers being sheep and the goats are those who never who continue to reject him all the way up to the point of the destruction followed the Antichrist they are the ones who judge as goats and they are thrown into the lake of fire okay they judged the rejection of Christ their onslaught of evil they're continuing to follow Satan Antichrist all those all the way through to the end, never always rejecting Christ. They, too, like the beast and the Antichrist, are thrown in a lake of fire. That is their judgment. But it's not the final judgment for all the rest of us and those post-tribulation. Um, Excuse me, post-millennial um, kingdom. So what do I mean by that? Well, at the end of all that battle, after Armageddon, at that judgment, Satan is bound, but not destroyed, bound for a thousand years and cast into a bottomless, deep, dark hole pit for a thousand years. Bound, so, that he, could not, what? He, said, so he could not deceive the nations again. Because he's the one deceiving all the nations through the Antichrist. The Antichrist is the one that deceives the nation to say, look, we need a world government, and I'm the one to lead this. So Satan is bound for a thousand years. And you can read about that in Revelations 21 through 3. And at that point in time, again, Jesus still on earth, he did not go back to heaven, he establishes then what's called the millennial kingdom. Millennial kingdom is this thousand year reign, and if you believe as we do in the millennial kingdom, as many do, some don't believe it works this way, some don't believe it's a literal kingdom, some believe it's just sort of a, uh, it began back in the church age, and it's gone through all these different years, and I I don't want to get into all that, but I'm teaching what what the Bible clearly says, if you read in Revelation 4, there are many places where it talks about this thousand year reign of Jesus. So Jesus does not go back to heaven at that point. He's still on earth. He sets up a kingdom, his kingdom in Jerusalem for a thousand years, for a thousand years. And he rules and reigns in that kingdom. All right. And it says that all of us as believers who came back with him for the battle of Armageddon, we will reign with him. That's amazing. I have no idea what we do, but it just says we will be among them and reign with him. Um, it's going to be incredible. It's hard to understand and explain, but that's what it says. Now, after that thousand years, after that thousand years, there is, Satan is released. This is, for whatever reason, I don't know. I am telling you what the Word of God teaches, and so I believe it. At the end of that thousand years, Satan is released one last time, one last time. And in a flurry, in a flurry works as hard as he can to deceive the hearts and minds of those who through that thousand years haven't become Christians. Because remember, the judgment of the sheep and goats, sent the, the sheep were among God's people, Jesus' people, who were with the Christians there with him. The goats were cast into hell already. So all of evil, if you will, has been taken care of, cast into hell. What happens? Well, what happens is in that thousand years, it's much like the thousand years that we've been in, other than, in fact, it's Jesus reigning And so he reigns with, you know, his power, his authority, all the wonderful things about him. But in that thousands of years, and if they're literal, then there are generations and generations of people that are born. And some receive Christ and some don't. And so there must be enough. This is the only explanation I can find if you believe in this millennial kingdom as I do. Again, others teach it different ways. But I thought as I was studying this, well, if everybody's been judged, and Jesus ruling on earth, where do the people come from that Satan goes through in this final battle after the thousand years? He's released, and he he furiously begins to start deceiving people again, just like he did Eve in the garden, and then Adam, same same, uh, what would you call it? Um, his same motive, his modus operandi, I guess, same motive trying to go around and deceive people just as the Antichrist did, because he's a deceiver. That's all he needs to do. He's a deceiver and a liar. And he must get enough people buying in who rejected Christ. And so Satan builds one last army, one last army who line up again around and circle Jerusalem is what it says. And Christ on the throne there in Jerusalem. But here's what's interesting. This time, we don't fight. Angels don't fight. Nobody's fighting. It simply says this in Revelation 27. They marched on Jerusalem, circled it, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them all. So fire came down and just took them out. So now we get to the final judgment. For the loss is called the great white throne judgment. And all those in the temporary hell, all those who have been sentenced, that rejected Christ, waiting on this time, though they may not know it, they're brought up, their resurrection occurs, and they are brought before the throne and they are found guilty of rejecting Christ and then are sentenced just like the goats to that ultimate final hell, okay? They're no longer waiting, but now they're going to be eternally damned, and these are the words of Scripture. These are the words of Christ. They'll be eternally uh, in this lake of fire forever from which there is no return, and it is horrible, awful suffering, the wailing gnashing of teeth. Jesus describes it in ways that, It just literally ought to scare the hell out of people, and I don't know why it doesn't. But that's the great white throne judgment, and that's the final time. And and then as well, Satan, after being bound and loosed and again stirring it up again, Satan is finally himself, and all the demons, all the demons, the fallen angels, are cast into that lake of fire as well. So hallelujah, now we have the ultimate defeat of evil. There is no evil anymore. There is no source of evil anymore. We are back to what God created before where there was no evil and just Christ reigning. And here's what happens. This is where heaven comes in. And I will close with this because I've got the time to do so. The new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. We find this in Revelation 21 and 22. I'm just going to read a few verses to encourage you about this. Remember John, the Apostle John, is receiving this revelation from Jesus and it's getting toward the very end. Now all the battles are done. Satan, all the evil, all the demons, every form of evil through him has been cast into the lake of fire, the eternal, eternal place where they will be held forever. There is no more evil. So it says, then I saw a holy city looks at a new Jerusalem, a brand new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. Let me keep reading. Same chapter, Revelation 21, 5. Then it said, Jesus will wipe away every tear from the eyes of those who have been weeping, suffering. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. Hallelujah for that with my back. The former things have passed away, okay? It's going to come back the way it was, the original creation. And the one seated on the throne, Jesus, said, Behold, here's that great verse, I will make all things new. I am making all things new. All things new. Then he said, Write this down, John. Talking me, John. These words are faithful and true, and Jesus told me it is done. It is done. I am the alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. <laughs> hallelujah to that hallelujah to that. This is the absolute final ultimate victory and our rewards that come through for those who have been born again in Christ and and have endured either through that tribulation time if you weren't raptured out or for those of us who just remain faithful to our end, and we're taken home to be with the Lord. Now we are going to be with him in heaven, this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, new earth, magnificent, wide, big, that all Christians, all those born again in Christ, your family, your friends, those who have loved on Jesus and received him as their Savior forever and eternity, no tears, no crying, no death, no pain, no anything, back to the perfection that it was, before the fall of man, and before Lucifer himself uh, defied God with his pride. That's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. Jesus promised, and he kept his promises. I'll never leave you, forsake you. And he didn't. And he hasn't, and he won't. So if you're born again in, in, in Christ, I want you to hold on to that. It is the truth. It's what we cling to, because you see, we're not there yet. We have a long way to go. Perhaps it starts tomorrow. I don't have any idea. But I know this, that Jesus is faithful. What I do want to close with for us as Christians is this. Then toward the end of the book of Revelation, I wrote the words down, I didn't write the reference. It's in Revelation 21, I believe. 21, 22. Let's see here. So they're making all things new. Yeah, we go. And in the last verses of the Bible, Revelation 22, Verse 20 says this. He who testifies to these things, this is meaning Jesus, says, Yes to John, I am coming quickly. And then John says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. And that's what we say. Maranatha is a word for that. The problem is, Jesus doesn't define quickly as we do. We know the Bible teaches that a day is like a thousand years because. God created time. He's outside of time and space. We don't understand that. But it's the truth. Otherwise, He's part of all this stuff. He's not. Jesus became part of this. God is outside of time and space because He created it all, and it's a mystery we'll never understand. Maybe it's revealed to us in all of this wonder and glory at the end. But I can't wait. I can't wait. And so I say to come quickly, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime... As Christians, we need to be testifying. We need to be sharing with people. We don't want to leave anybody behind. And so that's our role. It's not only live for Christ, love for Christ, but to tell people about the reason for the hope that we have. And my final words are this. You know, every week I say these words or something similar uh, because I have to. It's that invitation that the Lord gives to people like me. Bible teachers, evangelists, preachers, that we need to make sure those of you who are lost, that meaning you've rejected this, those who reject Jesus, who reject my teachings, if you've watched this, you may be laughing your head off, or you may be trembling in your boots, scared to death. I don't know. I don't know. I know this, if you've rejected Christ and continue to reject Him, and you scoff at God and these teachings, and you mock Him, as many do today, I've watched some of these videos, it's just, you ought to be scared to death. You ought to be scared to death. And you can act all that bravado that you want to, that, oh, it's a bunch of bull, it's going to happen, so what, I'm just going to die, whatever. I've got really bad news for you. What I just gave you was the truth of the word of God. And so if it isn't true, and you're right, then fine, we die. That's it. Life's over. But the fact of the matter is, it is truth. And you've got a problem. If you continue to reject him, you have a problem. The good news is, Christ died for you just like He did for me and any others who believed in Him. He did. He died for your sin just like He did mine. God loves you just like He did me. He doesn't love me anymore than He loved you. But after that last point of rejection, again, I've said this many times, I may be the last one if God ever sends to you pleading for you to receive Christ. Pleading for you to understand this is the truth. It's the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. So, my pleading prayer for you as I close is that you would not reject him this time, that you would bow the knee, that you'd confess your sins. You know you are. You know you're a sinner. We've all done things. And it doesn't matter. Big sin, little sin, whatever, we're just lost apart from Christ. God demands perfection, and Jesus is the only one, the only one who came and lived a perfect life and gave us that opportunity to be made perfect again by his blood on that cross and his resurrection back in that sacred place beside the Father, interceding for you and me. So I pray that you would right now bow the knee, confess your sin, receive Christ. Do it right now for Christ's sake. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for the encouragement that we have. All these things will come to pass, and perhaps most of us will never experience any of them. This side of heaven. We will see them and be part of some of these on the other side when we are home with you. And just like John said, we say, come quickly, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. For Christ's sake, amen. God bless you and have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.